Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Context and Clarity has been called a community-based pro-practice masterclass for architects. It's awfully high praise, but since we began this journey back in April of 2020, we've certainly grown into a community of small firm architects, all focused on what matters most to their success. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm that's dreaming of going out on your own, or you've owned your own firm for 26 years. There's something here for everyone. And that's where you come in. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Context and Clarity Podcast. Every week, we have a conversation with an expert or a thought leader on things that matter most to the success of architects just like you. Then we go backstage with someone from our community and we talk about what we learned, what our biggest takeaways were, and how we're going to apply what we heard to our own businesses. In this episode, we talk with Mark Zweig. Mark is the founder and chairman of the Zweig Group, maybe the foremost management consulting firm in the architecture, engineering, and planning world. He's the founder and president of Mark Zweig, Inc., which is his real estate development firm. And maybe most interestingly, at least to me, he's the entrepreneur in residence at the University of Arkansas's Sam M. Walton College of Business. Obviously, calling Mark a serial entrepreneur is a pretty safe bet. He's been around this industry for more than 40 years. He's done a lot, he's seen a lot, and he has some strong and well-founded opinions about how to start, build, and run design firms. The best part is, and you'll hear this in our conversation, Mark is willing to share his experience and his wisdom without sugarcoating. I loved this conversation. Catherine McPhail joined me once again for the conversation with Mark Zweig, as well as backstage afterward. Catherine is my co-host, and she's an architect and podcaster in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts 
Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. As always, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from the conversation. So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our conversation with Mark Zweig, serial entrepreneur. This is a wide-ranging conversation. I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Mark is uh, very charismatic, very smart, and freely gives of all of his knowledge and experience. And uh, I just, I had, you know, I had a lot of fun talking to him. I did too. He's he's just he seemed like a fun person to talk to for a while. You know, like a an interesting, an interesting um, and sincere person. He was pretty harsh on the what's wrong with small firm architects, which Christian pointed out he was grouchier than the grouchy architect. I don't know <laughs> that he was grouchy. He was just like, look, you don't share. You don't. Uh, what did he? I, I was writing it down. It's hard for me to read my writing because I was writing it so fast. Um, like we don't have a firm where somebody wants to work. It's like a morgue in there. You pay. Um, you need to pay better. You need an incentive for them to want to work there. Your environment is bad. You're not sharing information. You're not investment oriented. You live beyond your means and you strip the company of all the money that you make. Of course, we've already talked about the marketing. I mean, it's the typical, we get some possibilities, we get some big prospects and we slow down, you know, on that because what if we got all of it? We couldn't do it all. Worst mistake you can ever make. Okay. So they all do that. Uh, The second thing is many do not create a workplace that other people would actually want to work at. I always say, would you work in this firm? You know, you don't pay well. Your environment stinks. It's dead. It's like a morgue in here. You're a dictator. Nobody gets to make any decisions but you. Nobody has any information but you. So, you know, you need to create a completely different environment. Uh, that's going to attract smart people who are highly motivated to actually work there. Because when you do that, your job's easy. They're figuring out stuff you're not going to figure out, okay? I mean, that was always my idea. Um, but I just see this time and time again. I'll say to these people, you know, you got to pay better. You got to have a better incentive plan that's not just subjective, you at the end of the year deciding if you have any money left over and who's going to get how much totally subjectively. I, I, you know, I'm a huge believer in open book management. I'm a huge believer in sharing information. There's not enough information shared. Everybody's kept in the dark. And I think that's a huge problem. I told people what they, I thought they needed to hear, which is why I was able to get good fees and maintain a loyal client base. You know, not everybody likes that. I mean, there were some clients that didn't like it, and that's fine. You know, we had a plenty of other ones because we were doing all the stuff that we needed to do to keep the phone ringing and the emails coming in. So, you know, again, I mean, marketing-wise, my theory's always been you need to drive demand beyond your ability to supply it. It's only then that you will be selective about your clients and work for people that you think will listen to you and will pay you reasonably well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those would all be, those would all be problems. So I, 
I saw Christian's comment and, and I kind of chuckled in my head because I thought, well, that's, you know, in a way, but I don't, I I'm with you. I don't think Mark was grumpy. I think he's blunt. Right. He's just telling it like it is. And like he said, that's why he makes the big bucks. That's why yeah. people hire him. Right. Right. And he's, you know, he was quick to point out. He said, listen, that's, this is not all small firm architects. Um, not everybody is like this, but here's, here's what I see. And what, what you just said, right? He, you know, this is why you make the big bucks. I think we all need to dig into that statement because he's talking about the value that he brings, right? Or now, you know, this wide group as management consultants that they bring, people go to them because they are experts and because they do tell it like it is and because they, they don't sugarcoat things. Right. So I, you know, when I, when he said that, I, I had to turn that around and think about myself and, and say, okay, when I'm dealing with a client, am I direct enough? Am I sugarcoating things? Because that is literally not what they're paying me for. They're not paying me to sugarcoat things. They're paying me to help make their business better. So in order to do that, I have to be that direct. I have to, you know, I, I have to present the things that really help. Being direct isn't being mean, you know, right. it's just being direct. I don't know. Maybe that's just my take on it, but I don't, I don't feel like that's being mean. It's true. You know, I'm not investment oriented necessarily. Well, actually, maybe I am. I spend a lot of money on things that I maybe shouldn't um, and for my company, but I do spend every cent and I you know, do live beyond my means. So, I mean, it's not all like, I'm sure all of us can pick at least one thing we could work on out of that list. So it's, oh, he's not wrong. Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. And then, you know, and I also don't think he goes into a firm and just rattles off that list without considering, you know. He's kind of like the Gordon Ramsay of, uh, for architecture firms. <laughs> you know, okay. I wrote a couple things down that I thought were t-shirt worthy. One thing was drive demand beyond my ability to meet it. Like that's my goal. I I I agree that that should absolutely go on a T-shirt. And again, I think that's one of the things we we need to dig into that, right? I think it's I think it's easy to hear that and kind of gloss over that. But if we really think about what he's saying, is drive drive demand beyond my ability to perform, or, or however you just said it, to meet it. I can understand how somebody hears that and goes, oh, well, I can't do that because how am I going to perform? Well, you figure that out. Well, do you though? Because maybe that's why we're all so burned out. Uh, we, I think a lot of us have, have demand beyond what we can meet now, right? I think that's, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. So what do we what do we do about it? I mean, I guess we just tell people we can do it in a year. I think there's different things that you can do. Yes, absolutely. You can build a, you can build a backlist. You can say no. You can figure it out by hiring somebody, by outsourcing something. Uh, there's there's different ways to approach it. But one of the things he said related to that comment was that is the only way that you'll get to the best projects and the best clients. If, if, you, if you need five projects and you get five projects, like you really need five projects and you get five projects, then you do not have the ability to say no, right? You do not have the ability to be selective. 
you don't have the ability to go, this is not my ideal client. Oh, because you only have five to choose from and you yeah, need five. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. That I agree. Let's put it on a t-shirt. Let's put it on a t-shirt, but also like dig into like, well, what do we, I think just like, you know how I like the idea of role playing? Mm-hmm. What do we do? What do we say then? Do we, and that's when it kicks in. Like that's when we only choose our ideal clients instead of yes. feeling bad and saying yes to things and then having too many and then having people mad at me. Which is what I'm doing now, I guess. But also, in regard to the um, recession, he said he felt like there wasn't a recession mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. And um, also that he said, like, if you're the real thing, you're always going to do well. So he said the real thing is always going to do well. And that if you're the best for your clients, you be the best that you can be for your clients and be known to them and be part of the fabric of their lives, then you'll be fine. Like, they'll just yep. keep coming to you, even if it's down times, really. So yep. I thought that was... Um, heartening information. I think that's a fundamental truth. Not to lower your standards of a recession. You think a recession's coming, coming, that's not the time for you to suddenly take jobs you don't want. You know, my theory on that is if if you start taking jobs that you don't want, then you're you're always building a brand. Right. Okay, back to, you know, this is this is my realm, right? Where you're always building a brand. Mm-hmm. So if a recession is coming and you start taking jobs that you don't really want because you're panicking, you're worried, you know, what, however you, however you couch that, then you are building a, let's just call it brand reputation. You are building a reputation for those types of projects and you are going to become known for those types of projects. And you have mm-hmm. to ask yourself, is this really what I want to be known for? Because it's not, it's not always going to be bad, right? The economy goes up and down and so on and so forth. That, I think that's a real dangerous, uh, a really dangerous uh, strategy to kind of dial it down rather than, you know, as he said, you, you, you become the firm for that type of work for those clients in that area. You know, however you define, you know, what, what's ideal uh, we talk about that a lot. It's if if you become known for that to those people in that area, they are going to continue to hire you. And if you do a good job for them, they're going to refer you to other people like themselves that have similar problems. And and that's that's the name of the game, ultimately. I feel like it's kind of like a game of chicken, though. Like you have to just not... You just not go for it, like out of fear of not having anything or not being able yeah, to pay yeah. the bill. So I think you really have to look deep into your fear of what it is that you're afraid of. Or at least I'm not like, talking to myself, but uh, that like what exactly would drive someone to take a job they don't want? I think it's only that they're afraid they won't have any other work. And mm-hmm. but then what? And then you don't have any other work. Then what would happen? You know, just realistically, what's going to happen? So I think that helps to face the fear of of what could happen. I've got some infamous stories about that exact scenario. Right. And we all do because when we take work that we shouldn't take, it doesn't go well mm-hmm. for on a yeah. variety of levels. Anyway, I'm looking forward to his book, The Confessions of an Entrepreneur. So that should be good. Yeah. Yeah. I did notice yeah. none of his other books are on Amazon. One of the things that I, that I know about Mark, I mean, he's been teaching. I didn't realize it was 18 years he's been at the University of Arkansas. I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was quite that long. But he's he's been at it for 42 years. And, you know, like I said, he started, I think it was called Mark Zweig. 
consulting at the beginning, then Zweig White, then acquired, then bought back. Um, now the Zweig Group, hopefully that's a, a fairly accurate summation. But one thing that's, to my knowledge, that's been consistent about Mark through this whole time and about this Y group and, you know, all the different uh, iterations of it is that Mark has always been a thought leader and he's, he's always shared his knowledge. So he's had the, this, I think it's called the Zweig letter. It's been this newsletter that he wrote for years and, you know, as, as the company built in, he's, he's a contributor, but as the founder or the chairman or whatever, but, but he has shared lots and lots and lots of content over the years. And a lot of it is, is under that Zweig banner, which obviously that's also his name. Um, and I think many of his books are also related to, you know, somehow to the Zweig group. And I, I, I would, if anybody wants to know, if you want to know more about Mark Zweig, I would encourage you to listen to his conversation with Mark Arlapage on the Entree Architect podcast because you get, first of all, a great, um, a great telling of his backstory. But then he really starts to dig into how they built and grew this wide group, and he, he shares some some numbers that. And I mentioned this to him as we were talking. Even for me. You know, someone that has focused on marketing and business development and brand building and, uh, you know, for years now, some of these numbers that he mentioned, like the number of, of uh, uh, press releases that they sent out, which resulted in a number of articles. We were sending out three press releases to a list of about 500 names a week. So three different press releases, 500 editors and publishers and media people. And the result of that is we got 15 to 20 articles published every single month. Now, if you look at that, that's what, that's something like 6,700, 6,800 possibilities. So 15 or 20 out of that is like a quarter of a percent uh, hit rate. So that's one out of 400. Now, most people would say, if I told architects, you got to send out 400 press releases to get one published, they go, oh, well, you know. Good Lord. Yeah. I go ask him, like, how big is your press? You get any press? Well, we got one article in the business journal after we bought an ad. You know, um, I go, that's not really an article. But uh, but it's like, how, what's your press list? We got 20 names. Or we got 50 names. Well, forget it. You know, we send out three press releases a year to a press list of 50, and we wonder why we don't get anything. Well, the odds are you'll get a quarter of a percent. And that's if it's good. You know, it's got to be newsworthy, too. It's it's not, you know, we're pleased to announce we've just completed the 212,000 square foot XYZ office building featuring six 32,651 square foot floor plates. You know, I mean, it's like boring as hell. Nobody cares. You know, you got to you got to get people excited. You got to, you know, threaten the status quo. You got to challenge. It's like I wrote an article on LinkedIn last uh, for this wide letter last week, and the title of it was The Seven Habits of Highly Ineffective People. you got to be controversial. You can't just say what everybody else is saying. And you've got to establish your expertise by sharing your insight 
And sometimes, you know, again, I'll take the architect I spoke with yesterday. She says, well, some people may not like that. I said, no problem. Some people will really like it. Okay. That's all we care about. You know, just because somebody doesn't like it doesn't mean it's not good. This is not one person doing this, right? This is a, this is an organization doing this, but it was, it was three press releases a week to 500 press contacts, you know, each one of those to 500, which resulted in. It was like a quarter of 1% or something was, were accepted. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, it turns out to be a huge number of, of articles and so on and so forth, but the percentages are actually very low. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, that's, that's where it's maybe more, uh, more relatable, but, um, but yeah, the idea of putting your thoughts out there in, in some format, right. That demonstrates your knowledge, your perspective, you know, all of those things It gives somebody a chance to, to see you and find you and get to know you and decide, Hey, this, this Jeff guy sounds like a jerk. I don't want to work with him or, <laughs> Hey, I love what he's saying about this. I've got to talk to him. Right. Right. But, uh, but he was talking, he, his whole press release um, situation was many years ago before the internet. So he was talking about how now it's, it's, way easier to be a specialist a real specialist today mm -hmm. thanks to the internet and that also um we can create greater awareness just by being out there in pod things like podcasts or yep. i mean it would be easy for anybody to get to know you now watching you know they could just watch 550 of your episodes of context and yeah. clarity get to know you yeah a little. yeah absolutely yeah so it's a yeah. totally different world than it was in the 80s like he was talking about um a lot of the work you know back before any of this was possible it's still important i think and yes they you know they when he's talking about the press releases he's also talking about direct mail mm -hmm. um you know letters to the papers exactly yeah and, and, you know a few decades ago right so um and, and you know he's written 13 books and all of this and so it is it is different and easier now and and I think one of the things that you get hung up with as a sole practitioner is oh my gosh how would I how would I possibly write all of these press releases or these articles or mm -hmm. even podcasts or whatever and I think one of the opportunities now Mark didn't necessarily address this but I think one of the opportunities that you have in front of you is to really look at the platforms that are out there Instagram or TikTok or Twitter. you might say, well, my, my clients aren't on TikTok. Well, I'll bet some of them I bet are, and are. I bet, yeah. And their kids probably are. And you know, people that influence them are, you could, you can create content that's 30 seconds long or a minute long or three minutes long. You know, this, these types of things are, are uh, doable at the volume that, that Mark is talking about. So to me, the question is how do you translate that wisdom from that era to the tools that we have today. Yeah, I know I've said this before. I know I've said it before, but it is so amazing that now we can make our own radio show and we can make our own newspaper and we can make our own magazines. All this other stuff that there used to be gatekeepers for before in the 80s, like you had to get somebody to publish your letter or your, or your whatever. And now, well, now we can just do whatever. Some, some of the things are the same. 
right? And Mark said some version of this too. It's like you you can't you can't produce junk and expect you know back then you couldn't exp- you couldn't put together a really junky uh, press release and expect somebody to pick it up and run with it. it just wasn't going to happen. And by this the same um, by the same token, you can't produce junk on even the the hottest social media channel or whatever and expect somebody to expect that to go viral, I guess, to really stick with, with today's nomenclature. It's just not going to happen. You still have to, you still have to have a take. You still have to make a point. You still have to have a perspective. And, uh, he, you know, he said at one point, be controversial. Um, and he's not talking about controversy to be, you know, controversy for controversy's sake, but he's talking about actually have a, a real take on it, similar to when he goes in and, and he's blunt, right? You know, this is this is the problem. Um, so if you if you're doing good things, then then you can get noticed. Yeah, you're saying that you have to get people excited and um, threaten the status quo, something like that, to get to get any traction. And he was he was all in. And, uh, and again, that's one of the things I really appreciate about, about Mark Zweig is he, he gives freely, uh, 42 years of experience and, and wisdom developed, um, in helping architecture, engineering, planning firms start, build and run better businesses. And, uh, I really respect Mark for that. And, um, so it's, you know, it's, it's not just a fun conversation. There's a, there are a lot of great nuggets in there. Well, the nuggets are what made it fun. And also just his, his, um, kind of his generosity of his spirit kind of came through. I feel like that he does want to help people. hundred percent. And you know what, after we were done and he had to run off to, to do a, a family thing after we were done in 15 minutes or so, um, he texted me and said, thank you. Oh, nice. It's like, I, you know, I'm the one, we're the ones that should be, be thinking, but that's, that's just his approach to, um, to it. And, you know, that's, uh, I I think I said it at the beginning of the, the, the live is, um, I think he's one of the real good guys, you know, in, in the profession. When you get him, you get Mark Zweig, the human being as well as the businessman and, you know, incredibly successful serial entrepreneur and, and teacher and, and everything else. And so, yeah, hundred percent appreciate that. Well, what did you think? Did you hear something in there that you can use in your practice today? If you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity live episodes. And if you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week, give us a thumbs up and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. If you like content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And one last thing before you go. 
If the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you, join me over on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. We'll be back here again next week. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.